Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, Breen, chickens, and things to episode 13 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we are here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? That's the Muppets and Star Trek. We have been doing one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight we're covering the Muppet Show with special guest star Charles Azovanar, as Aznovar, <laughs> and Star Trek original series episode, The Conscience of the King. But before we get to that, Jarman, do we have any uh, feedback from our last episode? We had one lovely little bit of feedback from YouTube. A guy named Tim. He says, amazing content, my guy. And Tim, I really appreciate that. Thanks, Tim. (laughs) Keep listening. We'll keep bringing it to you. Absolutely. We'll keep it amazing for you. So uh, this (laughs) week, we need to hear about our new guest, uh, Charles Aznovar. Can you tell me about this guy a little bit? Uh, He was a French-Armenian performer, singer, songwriter, and actor. He was an early LGBT advocate, and in a 1972 album featured a song later titled in English, What Makes a Man a Man, which was about a transvestite living with his mother and talked about homosexuality, which was unheard of at the time. Wow. He was a goodwill ambassador to Armenia. He has an honorary doctorate from the University of Montreal and his own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. But what do we know him from? Probably nothing is the answer. <laughs> um, the most recent cultural reference I could find of him is that he played the old man Carl in the French version of Pixar's Up. Oh, wow. That's so but that's, weird. But unless you are into old timey music, chances are, if you're not your our generation, you have absolutely no bearing on him. I asked my wife's mother, who is, I believe, 71 or 72, and she had no idea who he was either. So yeah, it's crazy. And- I'm not sure where or how he was famous <laughs> well the weird thing is uh, we looked him up too because jolie and i that my girlfriend were watching the episode and she's like who is this guy I looked him up uh time did a 100 list of like top entertainers of the world and like he beat out elvis and like bob dylan i think because he's just so popular in europe and especially in france and he's like french's uh they called him the france's um uh, frank sinatra which i was like how yeah. have i never heard of this guy but he's so influential abroad so influential yeah he recorded more than 1200 songs and uh wrote or co-wrote more than a thousand that's insane in his career uh but in this week's Muppet show uh we get a little bit of a taste of him and apparently he was famous at the time maybe (laughs) Uh, the show opens with i feel pretty which is kind of an all-time classic where a whatnot slowly removes and replaces pieces of her face until at the end she is a hideous monstrous visage Uh, next we have the introduction of the backstage plot gonzo wants to take his career to the next level and be on the show more kermit says he his act doesn't work and recommends that he finds a manager for his career we then get our first taste of Charles Aznavour singing the old-fashioned way, uh, dancing with Mildred in these weird full-size costume puppets with no faces. It's sweet, but it's also a little bit weird. Backstage once more, Gonzo has found someone to be his manager, and it's Scooter the Gopher. Scooter wants him to do a rock act, which ends up being Gonzo hitting a rock with a sledgehammer while screaming the word art. <laughs> 
Now we get Jarman's favorite, Veterinarian's Hospital. This one is a bit dark as the patient is dead at the beginning, <laughs> and it turns out that Dr. Bob saves 9 out of 10 patients, and this one happened to be number 10. <laughs> uh, backstage with Charles, Hilda has brought him a snack as he works up an appetite before he performs. He complains that the bread isn't a French loaf. The bread then turns around and speaks to him with a ridiculous French accent. Mm-hmm. Next, we find ourselves at the dance. Couples dance together, and the best joke this week comes right at the end with Animal's dance partner finally giving him a taste of his own medicine, dipping him violently, but he loves it. (laughs) Following this is a performance from the Gogo Lala Jubilee Jug Band with the song Does Your Chewing Gum Lose Its Flavor on the Bedpost Overnight, a silly song about exactly what the title says. Next, we get the talk spot with Kermit and Charles, where Kermit asks why Frenchmen are so lucky in love, and Charles reveals that it's the accent and the language. Kermit doesn't understand, so Charles invites Miss Piggy out and says a bunch of ridiculous things to her in French, and she just swoons over him. She has an orgasm on stage. She really does. (laughs) Piggy then sexually assaults Charles, but Charles doesn't seem to mind because he just met the girl of his dreams. Mm Mm-hmm. Backstage once more, Scooter is looking for costumes for Gonzo's new act. He believes impersonating a woman is like kind of like a fine art and the pinnacle of, of a career. Kermit hates it, but Scooter's <laughs> uncle, who's the owner of the theater, loves it. So Kermit says he's on next. <laughs> oh. We then come to the weekly panel discussion where this where they discuss what is a man's role in the universe. Gonzo takes some turns of phrase far too literally, and it devolves into a discussion where Mildred thinks to roll in the universe, man would need to be much rounder. <laughs> Afterward, Fozzie does his weekly act. He has finally had it with Statler and Waldorf and threatens them to heckle him. Instead, they say the punchline to all his jokes for him. <laughs> Backstage, one more time, Scooter has, uh, has concluded that he will not manage Gonzo's career. It turns out that Gonzo ate his own contract. The closing number is the inchworm, where Charles sits in front of a schoolhouse, sings a very with a very neat rod worm puppet. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just kind of a beautiful ending and really showcases their guest. We have the final fir- curtain call where Kermit thanks Charles, who reveals that him and the French bread are now real fast friends for meeting backstage. And that is this week's episode of the Muppet show. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the music. Yes. We got, I feel pretty from the musical West side story music by Leonard Bernstein Bernstein and lyrics by uh, Stephen Sondheim Sondheim's known for other big musicals, including follies and gypsy and into the woods and Sweeney Todd Bernstein was a longtime conductor of the New York Philharmonic and provided music for Peter Pan Candide and on the waterfront. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar versions of this sketch, however, have been performed by the Muppets a few times before, including on the Ed Sullivan show in 1967 and a few years later on Sesame Street. Ah, it's like an ongoing thing. Okay. Pretty much the same bit. The old fashioned way uh, with lyrics provided by Aznavar, uh, music was done by a guy named George Ga- Garverentz, man, what a name, <laughs> who collaborated on more than 100 songs with Aznavour early in their careers and then went on to have his own separate successful career as a film composer. Does Your Chewing Gum Lose Its Flavor on the Bedpost Overnight, written by a guy named Lonnie Donegan. And he was Britain's most influential recording artist before the Beatles showed up and ruined everything. Uh, He was the first British male artist to have two U.S. top 10 hits. One of them was this song (laughs) that we heard. No, what what year that was? Uh, No, but pre-Beatles. Yeah, because 
early sixties. The funny 60s, part was probably. my my dad used to sing that song to me when I was a kid all the time. My dad, by the way, is born in nineteen thirty nine, <laughs> so it would have been probably in his time range. But I didn't know it was that oh, famous absolutely. of a song. But yeah, it does the chewing yeah, gum lose its flavor on the bed post overnight? Yeah, it hit uh, number five on the U.S. charts. That's crazy. That's and then the Inchworm, performed originally by Danny Kay in Hans Christian Andersen, he later then performed this musical again on the Muppet Show when he hosted. Nice. In later seasons. I love that song. It was written by Frank Lozer, who we mentioned last episode as he was the writer of the music for Guys and Dolls, as well as How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Gotcha. So, Jarman, what did you think of this episode of The Muppet Show? Well, I think I wrote my notes after it ended that it was like a good, fast-paced episode. And pretty quickly, I had a lot of laughs throughout. It felt like it's like a solid episode of The Muppet Show. Um, but what I'm finding is there are key differences in the two shows that we're watching. And I need to somehow fix that because um, I did not have the first number with Charles Aznavour. Um, ah, it was not okay. in my version of the episode. So my conclusion at the end was like, I was left lacking of who is this man and why wasn't he in the episode more? Um, he had one song uh, in my version and like two segments. And it was like the rest of it was even the talk show segment had no Charles Aznavour. It was like just true. missing. And usually the, the guest is always in the talk show segment. So I was a little confused by that, maybe because of his language barrier, perhaps. He wasn't as comfortable, but he seemed pretty comfortable with English in the other segments. Oh, yeah, um, he really did. Yeah, so I think he, in my version, at least, he was very underutilized, but he sang wonderfully in Inchworm. I really love that song, and it's just very cute and pleasant. Um, but yeah, a lot of laugh-out-loud moments, um, which I don't always have with The Muppet Show. So I was For like, sure. this one had me going. It had me the whole time. It was quick-paced. And also, one thing I will point out is that... Um, the conversation between Kermit and Gonzo in the beginning stuck out to me because it lasted longer than usual. And I liked it. It did. I liked that because it let the scene breathe a little bit and have a little bit of a moment instead of just like two seconds and a pun. And then it's gone. Um, I hope the show does more of that going forward. Like let these scenes have a scene like, and that made it more enjoyable and feel like a real show as opposed to like joke, 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 unrelated joke, unrelated joke. And so it kind of like, even though it was very small and a little bit longer than usual, it wasn't much, but just it made that much of a difference where I kind of liked that. So I hope that they, I see that more going forward. Yeah, this episode, I think, kind of sits near the bottom for me. I really wasn't impressed either, even with the additional uh, musical number from Charles gotcha. Aznavour. The one thing I'll give this episode is that in the talk spot with Kermit, he was really comfortable. Oh, like, yeah. He did really, really well in that talk spot. He was acting with the Muppets, not just like at them or like I'm with puppets right now. He didn't feel yeah, that he way. related well to Piggy. He looked at Kermit like at Kermit, not at the performer or down like at a producer. Yeah. He looked at Kermit. And I thought that that's something he did that's heads and tails above some of the other hosts we've had up to this point. Mm -hmm. um, but overall, not a great episode. Yeah, it's more towards the top for me as far as like not being like outstanding or, or standing out. It's just that it felt like like a solid episode. Like, hey, this is like a I'm cool with this being the status quo and then them having episodes above this and below it. But this felt like a good status quo. Pretty cool episode. Better than the like meh episodes we've had a couple of times. And no yeah, Florence Henderson. <laughs> the highlights, I feel pretty, which is just such a fun concept of watching a ripper face off. Yes, that was, uh, I and was an surprised. inchworm where you really got to showcase the guests, but otherwise, man, it's all kind of a wash. Yeah, an inchworm, like at times I was like, oh, he's just like an average singer, but then he'd do these little trills. I'm like, oh, he's got talent. Yeah. This guy can do some stuff with his voice. Yeah, that was impressive. Uh, so, kind of a mediocre episode, I think we both agree. But, Jeremy, let's talk about this week's, the original series episode. What did we watch? All right. So, this well, week we watched The Conscience of the King, which is kind of lauded as one of the 
upper episodes of Star Trek in general, the original series. Um, people talk about this one a lot, stands out. Um, and it starts out with some, it has a lot of uh, Shakespeare, which is throughout a lot of the Star Trek series. You'll see Shakespeare coming back a lot because they also happen to cast a lot of Shakespearean actors in their plays. And the funny thing is, uh, this uh, episode features Hamlet, which uh, is how uh, William Shatner got his start. Uh, because he was the understudy for Christopher Plummer, another Canadian actor you might know very well from a lot of movies these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Christopher Plummer got sick as Hamlet. And so William Shatner got to go on stage. And that happened to be the night that like the Toronto Sun or whatever it was, was reviewing the show. And so they reviewed William Shatner instead of Plummer. And that got Shatner a lot of roles on TV and stuff like that because he had a really good review. So he's familiar with his Shakespeare. So we have, uh, let me look here. The Enterprise is brought to Planet Q, which is a funny name for planet, by an old friend of Kirk's, Tom Layton, to investigate a new way of processing food that feeds the multitudes. But Kirk finds out this isn't true and that Tom just brought him here because he wants him to investigate this traveling actor, Anton Caridian, who he thinks is actually Kodos, the executioner, who is a former governor of Earth colony Tarsus IV. Now, uh, Kodo seized power of this planet when the food supply ran out and he ordered that half the planet was to be killed in order for the rations to last. Kind of like a a Thanos kind of action. Um, But both Kirk and Tom were there when it happened. And they are some of the last people left who can eyewitness and identify what Kodos actually looked like. So Kodos supposedly died back then, but only a charred corpse remained that could be not be positively identified. So they're not sure if he actually died or not. Uh, So Tom decides he's going to throw a cocktail party with the actors and he wants Kirk to be there so he can investigate Kodos and find out if that's really him. But Kodos doesn't show up to the party. So Kirk instead meets Anton Caridian's daughter at the party and he talks to her to investigate and he kind of takes an interest in her as well, even though she's 19. and It's really creepy, as usual. Uh, Back in the ship, uh, Kirk compares pictures of Kodos and Anton Caridian and sees some similarities. So he calls off the ship that was going to pick up the actors and says he will transport them himself to their next destination. And Kirk finds out through the computer that another crewman on his own ship was there when Kodos was there on that planet. And his name is Riley. And so he decides to protect him because he thinks he he learns the computer that a lot of the people who are eyewitnesses to Kodos have died mysteriously over the years. So you want to make sure that him and Riley don't get killed somehow. Uh, Spock gets curious to Kirk's actions because Kirk is acting kind of like a dick throughout this episode towards Spock, which is kind of weird. Um, so he decides to research on his own and find out what Kirk is up to. And he kind of finds out the, what he's up to later on. Uh, Riley ends up being poisoned and Spock believes it was Kodos that had him poisoned, but McCoy is still skeptical and thinks it could be an accident. Uh, so Kirk confronts Caridian and makes him do a voice match test with an old recording of Kodos. And the computer says it is a match, but Kirk still has reservations because he doesn't want to judge someone too early and put them to death because that would be a bad thing to do. Uh, In this time, also an overloaded phaser is found in Kirk's quarters. It's about to kill him and blow up and him and Spock narrowly escape by throwing it down like a pressure escape tube, basically. Um, So Riley, while in sickbay, learns from Bones giving his uh, logs too loudly that Caridian may be Kodos. And so Riley goes to kill him while Caridian and his his acting troupe and his daughter are performing a show for the Enterprise crew. So Kirk stops him, but then overhears Caridian's daughter talking to her father and revealing that he is indeed Kodos and that she has been killing the remaining witnesses to slaughter them one by one. So Kirk goes to arrest them both. The daughter gets a hold of a phaser, goes to shoot Kirk, but her father jumps in front of the beam and dies. And she quickly loses her mind completely and is taken into custody. And then we have the end of our episode. So 
that was a it's a it's a flashy episode, a lot of Hamlet, uh, you know, um, metaphors and that kind of thing in it. And uh, it's a little bit trivia here. Uh, Barbara Anderson, who played the daughter of Kodos, she developed a fever blister slash cold sore on her lip during filming. And they tried to use makeup and shadows to disguise it throughout the episode. But at the end of the episode, you can see it front and center. It's 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 very noticeable, which I thought was funny. <laughs> um, this is one of the favorite episodes of Ronald D. Moore, who is famous for writing lots of Next Generation and Deep Space Nine episodes. But he's also the creator of Battlestar Galactica. Um, and in that show, he named the prison barge the Astral Queen, which was the name of the ship that was going to pick up the acting troupe in the show, uh. which is funny because it's like his favorite Star Trek episode. Um, Kodos gives his name to one of the two cycloptic alien squids who repeatedly plague the Simpsons in their Halloween fantasies, which is pretty funny. And the other is Kang, who is a Klingon later on in the in the series. So it's kind of funny. Uh, so Simpsons are really big Star Trek fans, obviously. Um, so we also find out if you watch Star Trek Enterprise, which Steve and I will eventually watch someday. There's the main character, Hoshi Sato. Um, and apparently in an episode, The Mirror Darkly Part 2, you see in the future that she is one of the 4,000 people killed by Kodos later on in the the timeline. So she was there, Hoshi Sato. Oh, it's kind interesting. of interesting. Uh, this episode was one of the, month, the lowest rated episodes in the first season, mainly due to the fact that it was too talky and with no action scenes and didn't feature any monster or sci-fi gimmick. Um, and it was not given many repeat broadcasts because of that, but it's actually a really good episode. Um, and Barbara Anderson, who played the daughter of Kodos, she shares the record with Ricardo Montalban, Khan, and Joan Collins, who was in the famous um, 1940s episode of, of Star Trek, for the most costumes worn in a single Star Trek episode by a guest star. She wore six different <laughs> costumes. <laughs> That's my final bit of trivia there. Some silly stuff, but uh, it was a good time. So what did you think of this episode, Steve? All right, so the things I liked. I went through such a gambit of emotions and confusion in the first two minutes. In the first two uh, minutes, all right. Yeah, I was like, am I watching the right show? Followed by, ooh, is this a time travel episode? And then, oh, they're actors. <laughs> all in like, all in a minute and a half. Oh my God, my girlfriend had the same thing. She was like, are, is, this, is this the right episode? Is, are we watching Star Trek? <laughs> um, I like that Kirk showed true and appropriate interest in a woman his own age. For once, which was nice. But she's supposed to be 19. They do mention that quickly. But she's legal, and that's not always the <laughs> oh, case. you are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Uh, <laughs> I like that we got to see more of the rec room in Ahura playing her harp. It was nice to see a little bit more of the lives of these people, which doesn't always happen. That's true. Um, I liked the idea of the phaser overload. It was a super unique threat. Mm. Um, and I just appreciated it, that it wasn't something coming to blow them up. Yeah. you know, it was, nice. it was a threat within. Uh, the whole thing was really Shakespearean and eloquent, which I really enjoyed. And I really liked the arc of Kodos, like accepting the blood on his hands and the fulfillment of his debt by being killed by his own daughter. Even that was very Shakespearean. Can I ask you a question as someone who's seen this episode for the first time? Um, yeah. Did it seem like he had either forgotten or had delusions that he was not actually Kodos and that he had just thought it was a character he played because he had these weird mental delusions that he had not actually done that. And at the end of the episode, he actually realized, Oh, that was me. I did do those I mean, things. I mean, maybe, but then there was the moment where she, where she revealed to him that he, that she had been killing them off. And he like yelled, like even more blood on my hands. That was the moment. So I think he remembered in, that but even was, in that, like he, he was aware yeah, especially at that moment. I'm just trying to figure out I, if he you know, always I, knew. 
maybe it's a reflection of him trying to be away from it so hard that he maybe even convinced himself exactly you know, with that much time. But he was definitely aware. I don't think there was ever a point where he was, especially at the end, he was totally aware. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, things I disliked. How was Spock the only one to figure out this pattern? <laughs> Like once again, just proof that Spock is smarter than everybody else, maybe in the world. Um, why did Riley slug milk like that? Oh my god! And how did he not then realize that it was like coolant fluid? <laughs> that was the first thing my girlfriend said. Was like, who chugs milk like that? <laughs> and I didn't even try it. He just took one huge jauntus chug and then put it down and then did the the other half but if it was supposed to be some sort of coolant fluid that's like milky and but how did he not taste that yeah that's a good question that was one of those like wait what i okay it was cool that they poisoned him but why not have someone you know you show the tray being set out on something and then you see a hand come and slip something into it like it didn't need to be that it could have been simply done a different way instead it was like a 1960s spray bottle <laughs> um, and then some of the scenes and i kind of agree i guess with the, the people at the time were just a little too long mm. not a ton and i really did enjoy seeing the longer scenes with uh kirk and kodos and Kirk and the daughter, those are thing, aren't things you get in many Star Trek episodes, but I feel like the script could have used one more pass. It's almost like these episodes can be, should it be as long as modern day episodes, like 43 minutes instead of like 50, 52 minutes? It, yeah. They probably would be good for that. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I think that this is probably my favorite episode so far. Oh, I wouldn't have gotten that from your description, but that's great. No, I mean, I really did like a lot about it. I like that the stakes weren't as high and that they were personal, which isn't also is not always the case in these things. That's true. It was like an on ship kind of thing. And it's personal to Kirk like that. It happened to him. So that's that's true. Yeah. Um, and then him using her as a tool and like him playing her the whole time where she thought she was playing him. It was all very nice. And once again, very Shakespearean in feel. And I, th- I like that that kind of carried through the episode. And I thought the daughter did a great job of looking completely insane at the end. <laughs> like she was. Oh yeah. My she God. Quickly. <laughs> the close up on her eyes. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Um, yeah. Good episode. I enjoyed this much more than this week's episode of the Muppet show. I'll say that. <laughs> Fair enough. So you have right, some, so I uh, got some Trek connections. That's why it's open for two of them are tenuous, but one of them is rock solid. I'm really excited. I love the tenuous ones. It's all right. So there was, there was a bio musical called Charles featuring the songs of Charles Aznavar, which was set to be performed at the Leonard Nimoy Thalia theater in New York, New York. What? Uh, but unfortunately the performance was canceled at the beginning of March due to coronavirus. Oh, like you're saying recently, just now. Yes, like this just got canceled because of coronavirus. There's currently a Leonard Nimoy Theater? Leonard Nimoy Thalia Theater and Symphony Space in wow. New York. And Muppet Trek fans, we won't normally say anything that tells you what uh, year or date this is. But yeah, coronavirus is happening right now. So uh, <laughs> yeah. that's fascinating. <laughs> uh, Roddenberry and Asnivore's stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame are just a few blocks away from each other. That's cool. And now here's the great one. Arnold Moss, who's the guy who played uh, Anton Caridian and slash Kodos, Mm -hmm. is the father of Jeff Moss, who is a composer who has done music and lyrics for a ton of Henson stuff. (laughs) 
including what? Sesame Street. He did The Muppets Take Manhattan. He wrote One Little Star from Follow That Bird. And Together at Christmas from my favorite Jim Henson thing ever, A Muppet Family Christmas. How in the world? Like this Arnold Moss's son, Jeff Moss. Only on our show would we figure Rock this solid. out. <laughs> that's Rock a, solid. I was so excited that's when I found a it. Deep connection. So deep. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. That's insane. Uh, all right. So now let's talk about some similarities. Yes. I've got three. I do only have two, but I so you go first. I'll go first then. Yeah. Gonzo seeks to reinvent himself as an artist, just like Kodos tries to reinvent himself as an actor. <laughs> and both fail? <laughs> In a way. Um, so uh, both Bones and Rolf both think their patient is fine or that it was an accident. Uh, Rolf's patient was dead. Bones' patient was uh, um, actually poisoned. <laughs> also dead. <laughs> Uh, in that same note, both feature someone finding something blue that is already dead. Dr. Bob with his patient and Kirk when he finds the blue, uh, blue uniform, Dr. Layton dead on the planet. <laughs> That's fair. That's right. So here's a fun one. I can't take for credit for myself. Girlfriend thought of this one. Uh, West Side Story is based off of Romeo and Juliet, which is a Shakespeare play, which was a main tenet oh, of this episode. And nice. so West Side Story, the the the, uh, the song in the beginning, of course, uh, the was it coming to America? No, what is it? I want to be in America. Yes. No. Yeah. I feel there pretty. There are a few bars of tonight, tonight, right? At the yeah. There's like, like a medley kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, and I feel pretty. A seemingly cute whatnot becomes uglier and uglier physically, similar to how Lenore becomes uglier and uglier per, uh, personality-wise as she is revealed to be the killer. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> These might as well have been the same episode. They are. I mean, look at all the connections. Oh man! Oh my God, crazy. what's that noise? I, I, what are you talking about? Oh, that noise! Oh my well, that God! Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right, so transporter malfunction, as you all know, is when we take one character or actor from one episode and transport them to the other episode so they can act in that. So I will go first with Charles Avnivore, Asnivore as Kodos because he would make a sexy, charismatic Kodos who speaks with a French accent <laughs> the whole time. It certainly would have been more sensual. You're not wrong. It's true. It's true. Uh, I just had Gonzo trading places with Kodos, and instead of an eccentric Shakespearean actor, Gonzo becomes a tormented experimental artist. <laughs> he sits in a chair and makes you stare at him for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Oh. He like eats a rubber tire on stage. And like, I swear, it's the butcher art. Um, I had Lenore, who is Kodos's daughter, could trade places with the old lady with the sewing kit, who his name is Mildred, I believe, right? Yes. Yes. So Lenore could trade places with Mildred because Mildred had a thing for uh for Charles Asnavor. And I think it would just be amusing to have Lenore trade places with uh, a similar note, I had Lenore switching places with Piggy in the talk spot, where she's like overly fawning over Charles all the while trying to poison him. <laughs> just continuously trying to slip in things while fawning over i him. could see miss piggy doing that yeah that makes sense yeah oh yeah <laughs> perfect <laughs> well i guess that brings us to the end of episode 13 of the muppet trek podcast join us next time for episode 14 of the muppet show with special guest star phyllis diller and original series episode balance of terror so from the lovers the dreamers and us live long and prosper everyone 
Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. 